0: I think, uh, you know, most everybody is aware just like how much the religious landscape has changed in the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, When I was a kid, you know, my parents were kind of holiday church-going people, and uh, we were one of the only cars on the average Sunday on our street, you know, which had maybe 80 homes on this one long street. There would be three cars there on a Sunday morning, (laughs) everybody would be in church. And and down where I grew up in Houston, it was you're a Methodist, you're a Catholic, or you're a Baptist. And I know there were other churches, there were Presbyterian, you know, you name it. But those were sort of the three main brands. And in the last, you know, since I was a kid, gosh, just a few years ago, things have changed just how quickly they can change. And now there's just a whole new marketplace of faith out there. And what One of the things that people who study and research the faith habits of Americans say is there's always been a fairly stable distribution of faith expressions in our country. And there's been uh, a, around 20% or so of people who just don't, uh, they, they're nuns. That's what they were, one of the researchers kind of tagged them. They just didn't have any faith identification. And then there were uh, about 30% there's the, of these four, the second demographic breakdown was there was about 30% of the people who were uh, related to cr- the Christian faith, like my parents were, uh, my family was, uh, more like as a, I'm an American, so I'm a Christian, and I heard John Wimber recently, uh, although he passed away on a videotape. I, I don't hear John Wimber like he's dead. Uh, but I heard him on a videotape, and he was describing how, you know, how he was raised. And he, he said, I was just raised as a pagan. And he said, the only time I ever went to church was for a funeral or for uh, a wedding. That was it. And so he didn't understand anything about the Bible. I could relate to that. And there's a, so about 30% of the people are like that. But they're shaped by faith in some ways because the culture was our culture, Western culture was shaped by Christian faith. Then there's another thirty percent or so of people who they are really, really influenced by the church. They're, they 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 go and attend church, however infrequently, and it, and and it has more of a, of a sense of meaning in their life than the, this other thirty percent. So there's the nuns, there's the sort of nominal. There's the more self-identified participatory uh, faith people. And then there's uh, about 20% who faith uh, shapes their lives in, in a significant, to a significant degree. And so you see this 20, 30, 30, 20. And uh, I was listening to a guy who's, uh, who was at a leaders meeting I was at recently. And he's part of, the re- he's part of one of the four big research groups that, that follows this and tracks this. And he said, this breakdown has been consistent for decades and decades and decades. But what's happened now is that it's, two things have happened that have made it really different. Is the none, all these groups are stable. There's been little changes around the margins for the most part. And you think, wow, only 20% of America is like, would be really self-identified Christians in the sense of, you know more biblical christianity yeah it's that's it's been that way for you know, a couple hundred years more or less. There are times where it expands and there's times where it shrinks a little, but it's stayed about twenty percent and it depends on the questions that you ask. do you understand you can you could get a completely different breakdown by asking questions a certain way, but what people who work with uh, around the area of faith have learned to do is there's there's questions that you can ask that you get clear answers in terms of how people practice faith. So, what's happened is in the, the, there's been a huge shift in this thirty these two thirty percent categories in the middle, and the the influence in terms of how those sixty percent live and think and express whatever faith expression they have has shifted to. The 20% on either end have been really influential in, in, in unique ways. But for the most part, it's like the, tw- the, the 20% at this end of solid faith-believing people have shaped the way that those 60% view things. Well, we, in the last 10 years or so, have, have experienced this teeter-totter where it's shifted. And now the 10% of people who don't believe have uh, become the the key influence of those 60%. And so, you know, some people are are really upset by that. Uh, You know, it's happened before, but it, you know, because things shift in every culture. But uh, out of this, something has emerged, and it's not entirely new, but I wanted to just address it today because people are very prone when asked to identify them, you know their, what their faith uh, brand is, is they say I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. If you've heard that term from someone, raise your hand. See, it's a pretty common thing. And so, what they're saying is, in effect, I don't like religious inst- religious deities and institutions, and the you know their narrow expressions of things. Uh, I, I don't like you know, oftentimes the way the people who who are associated with them behave. And so I don't like religion. I like spirituality. And spirituality is defined as, like I said, uh, sort of a, I'm not for religion and the way it's, I, I've seen it expressed. And so, but th- there's something transcendent that I believe exists, but when you say you're more spiritual, what that means is it's very, this is super spelled out and, and defined like in a box. And sociologists called it a bounded set. That there's a box, and you know if you're in, and you know if you're out. And then over here, there's this spirituality. Sociologists would call it a fuzzy set. That if you, if you plotted where people are... There's like some center to it, but it's you can't figure out where it is, and it's kind of like flies buzzing around in the air. You ever you ever riding your bike, and all of a sudden you you, you go through this mass of flies, and then you go through it, and you look back and go, "What was that?" Uh, nobody's nodding their head with me. Okay, I ride my bike a lot, so that happens to me. So, but you know what I mean? There's just they're they're just there, and you I, I've often stopped and looked and go, "What is it that's attracting?" Is there is there like a super fly, an invisible super fly in there that they're all, oh, we worship you. You know, we're, tell us what to do. Like a little fly mastermind, you know, who's manipulating the other flies. Uh, some of you like that. Yeah, that's a colorful term. So that's what oftentimes when people say spirituality they're talking about is it's there's something there, but they can't define it exactly. It's, there's, it's, it's, it's transcendent. They just don't like the, the expression of transcendence that these people are after over here. And, and so they've kind of rejected what it looks like. And, but they can't reject transcendence altogether. But you'll hear people, because I have friends who, uh, one of my friends at our Bible study the other night was just saying, she has a friend at work that, that for years and years and years who's always saying, when, when my friend says, you know, uh, how God helped her, she says, yeah, the universe helps you and that's that's kind of part of it is people say yeah the universe because it's not clear there's something big and that that, that that this universe or this thing is benevolent it's benevolent and it's benign so it's not harmful that there's something benevolent and benign but you can't really know what it is but i like some you know like like i like the, the, the emphasis on love and respect, and there's values, you know, things that, that derive from it, and, and, you know, if you look closely enough, they're not radically different from the same values over here. They just aren't always expressed as well over here, but you get my point, and so that you have these two things, and these are, these have become brands, and, and they kind of squared off in a certain sense, that these people over here don't like these people, and these people over here kind of don't like these people. Now, these people don't like don't don't like to say they don't like those people, and they don't like to say they don't like those people. But they're kind of like they kind of when, when you bring that up, they kind of their face changes, like like oh them kind of thing. And those brands uh, are pretty well defined. These researchers say this. There's been a huge shift in this where people who used to identify with Christian faith more or less have begun to say, I'm more spiritual than religious. And a lot of the unbelieving people over here don't like that because they feel like you don't need spirituality to have meaning and relevance and all the good things that faith has. But all these people in the middle go, there's something there. We don't know what to call it, but it's there. And so, like in most cases... When you read the Bible, you, you see human beings on many issues uh, kind of coalescing into this either-or place. And what you'll see when you, you know, when you read the New Testament, I think carefully enough, you see, especially you see Jesus, because he was the master of it, and you'll see here in Peter, Peter says there's a third way that both of you are really looking for, because both the spiritual people, and the religious people are right about some things, but they're both uncomfortable with certain things. And they don't know how to resolve that tension. And so what Peter does, and we're, you know, how we're, 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 we're studying through the book of 1 Peter, and we're looking at a bunch of people who lived in a time that's a lot like this contemporary moment in which I fi- we find ourselves. And what I want to do today is instead of kind of doing, I want to do a Bible study with you. So this is going to be interactive. I'm going to, I'm not going to explain as much. I, I, I wanted to introduce that, and what I want to do today is kind of have an interactive engagement with the Bible to see what does this third way that's that's really the gospel and it's the Christian faith look like. It is not religion, and it's not spirituality. But it has elements of both, but it expresses them in a redemptive way. And so the the human tendency to move politically, you know, morally, all kinds of ways to either an either-or position is constantly challenged by not only the New Testament, but the Old Testament. And so we're going to, did you, were you able to get that up? So if you, you have a Bible with you, and if you don't have a Bible, by the way, under the chair seats in front of your Bibles that look like this, and we're going to read this passage here. Uh, it's First Peter, chapter two, verses four and five. And is there more than that? Okay, two slides, great. Good, that's because we're going to read this first part. All right, uh, and if you're looking in the paperback Bibles, it's page eight forty on the ones that look like this. I think we have a few paperback Bibles in there are different. So, uh, it starts in verse 4. It says, as you come to him, that they're talking about Jesus, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Sometimes re- people read that and it sounds. It, it sounds. There's so many metaphors, and they go. What do you do with all that? What is he saying? What exactly is he saying? There's something really straightforward and basic that he's saying that, that kind of addressed this spiritual religious split that we have. It happened back then. Uh, it, it looked different, obviously, than it does today. But so I'm going to ask you some questions, and you know, uh, if you're wrong, just take it shot. I mean, if you don't know. And if you miss it it's okay we're going to just try to ferret out what how how what peter's saying here is an expression of what gospel faith looks like and, and how it 's different than religion or what what passes for spirituality today so uh, when it says, "As you come to him, the living stone to him, if you read the context is Jesus, and he has different titles and so He's just referring to him with a pronoun here. As you come to him, the living stone. So what do you think it means to come to him? Okay, let me back up for a second. Who are the you? What do you you guys remember about the you, the people that Peter was writing to? So I think that's helpful to get this. Who were these people that we learned over the last month or so? What were they like? My communication obviously was just over-the-top effective. Or you're all afraid of saying the wrong thing. Remember he said they were residents and aliens? Give me a so what, what What? did that say about, in general, who these people were, who comprised the first Christians in this area in the ancient world? Remember, it's in Turkey. They're, they're generally in the area of Turkey. So it was full of Christians. And being resident aliens, what does it mean to be a resident alien? Different. For sure, you're different than the, you know, the average citizens that are there. Where does it mean you came from? Out of town, yeah, someplace else, maybe out of the country. So you're a foreigner. So most of these people who were believers he was writing to were migrant workers, okay? And we know, I mean, throughout history, migrant workers were second-class citizens wherever they were. Whoever, it didn't matter who they were, if you come into a country from another place, you're an outsider, and depending on the kind of job you have, that places you on the pecking order of that community. And most of these people were just very lower working class people. So outsiders, lower social status, probably had less money. Not all of them, but in general, that's, that's the sense you get. So these guys are outsiders. So they, you know, if you've ever been in a situation where you've been an outsider, that can happen to us when we grow up in school, Right go to school. Have you ever been one of the kids who wasn't in the in group, which is almost everybody? We all want to be in the in group, 90% of us, the other 10%. Have you ever felt that? And that can happen in your family, that can happen at work, that can happen at school, right? It can happen anywhere. And so he's saying, as you, all you outsiders come to Jesus, what does it mean to come to him? Not, it's not, there's no trick to this question. It's very straightforward. Okay, like, follow him. Begin to follow Jesus as Lord. And and what do you think it means He's a living stone? We talked a little bit about that, we touched on it. That 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 term has to mean something. Yeah, like a building block. And and in the ancient world they had cornerstones, like they had cornerstones to the pyramids, they had cornerstones to the temple, and they would be huge pieces of stone that were carefully carved out. And and they were very they were substantial, they were really strong, because the rest of the building Began to be built on top of this, and you know the outline of the building and a lot of important aspects of the building depended on how sound this stone was and or this cornerstone that that phrase like a building block. So it says, what does it say about this building block that they were coming to? So they're outsiders. They're coming to the building block, but what does it say next? Read that for a second. What does it say? The living stone. Describes the living stone. What was his, his experience? He was rejected. By who? Rejected by humans. Now, if you read down further, it, it, it gives you a clarification. It was re- re- Jesus was rejected by everybody, but in particular, he was rejected by the builders, by the people in authority, by the people who were supposed to know the value of things. They were people who were tasked with, you know, positions of responsibility And those people looked at Jesus and they said, we can't build anything on him. He's not the kind of stone you want to build your building on. So off the top of your head, what was it that caused his contemporaries, the contemporaries of Jesus, and especially the people who are in leadership, responsibility, authority? And these were, listen, sometimes we can be, uh, we can think that we're kind of the zenith, of civilization, of, you know, human civilization, the time we live in, you know, like our IQs are are higher than any they've ever been. We can do things nobody's ever done before, and in some sense that's true, but the people who live in that time, they did things, they wrote things, they built things that are still standing today. People were smart back then, people were thoughtful, people were, you know, they had uh, as much going for them as, as, as we have today. We built on things that they uh, established as, you know, foundations of society. So what was it about this living stone that, that they rejected? What, what got Jesus killed? Come on, guys, this is church. <laughs> Jesus, you know, Jesus, this is not a study about Muhammad, Muhammad's history, you know, his childhood, his teachings, okay, Yet Jesus challenged the way things were, the way, the way people interpreted the law and lived it. He upset their, the apple carts, claimed to be the son of God, which was bad news. <laughs> if you're a religious leader, like, oh, no, you, if you do that, you're in trouble. I mean, unless it's true. You're in trouble when you do that, because one of the things that the Jewish people said that made them Jewish, they had this thing called the Shema, where they said, uh, hear, O Israel. and Any Jewish person would recite this every day. Hero, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbors yourself. They were fiercely monotheistic. And for Jesus to say, I'm the Son of God, you know, if you read, like, the Gospels, that's what got him crucified. That's one of the key things. What else? So he, he, he challenged the, the way religion, again, here's this religion thing. He challenged religion. He was a, he was a rebel And he had a big mouth, maybe not in the way that we use it today, but they thought he did. They thought he was disrespectful. They thought he was, you know, uh, undermining society, the good of society. And so he was rejected by men. And what's the next phrase say? Okay, now, after Jesus got crucified, that's what the first part's referencing. People that got crucified had a reputation. What do we know about people who got crucified in the ancient world? Always criminals. The worst, only the worst criminals. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst criminals and the worst crimes. The most heinous people were crucified. And that when, when Jesus' disciples were told by Jesus, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, which they were waiting for him to go to Jerusalem, you know, to, to announce that he was the king and, you know, and, and start the whole kingdom of God thing. He said, when I go to Jerusalem, and they're going, here it comes, he's going to tell us about it, you know, and and Peter and John are going, can we, or, or, uh, James and John are saying, can we sit on your right and left, you know, like when you, can we be like, you know, uh, 1A and 1B, uh, uh, your cabinet, uh, or like uh, it said in, oh brother, we're out there, we'll be your brain trust, you guys didn't see that, okay, they didn't see, uh, oh brother, but nobody laughed, that was a good line, gosh, uh, so they they thought this is it we're we're you know we're going to go to the top you know our you know our IPO is going to cash in in the in the biggest way in history and jesus said we're going to jerusalem and i'm going to get rejected and crucified and peter grabbed him like i said last week he grabbed him by the ear pulls him over and says you're crazy you know you got to stop drinking so much wine You not stop staying up and praying all night. You know you're addled, because people who were crucified were—they end up on the trash heap of history. When when you get crucified, it's like—it's not even like getting uh, your name put on uh, a, a sexual predator list. We don't even have a way to compare crucifixion and how people viewed it today to what it was like then. So Jesus was rejected by people because he was crucified. The Jewish people thought, you only get crucified because the Old Testament said, if you hang on a tree, you are rejected by God. And so the Jews, the leaders said, we're, rejected. we're rejecting him and we want to crucify him. We want to kill him. This will put the final nail in this coffin because nobody will follow him. All the people were following him and challenging our authority. Nobody will follow him when he gets crucified. But what happened that that shifted their sense, everybody's sense of who Jesus was, something happened. He was crucified, and then he rose from the dead. And nobody, his, his followers, nobody would have believed that a person in the middle of history could be resurrected. Nobody. That's why it was such a hard thing to swallow. And as Jesus kept appearing to them over and over, over 40 days, they began to realize and piece it together. Every, all of a sudden, they started reading the Old Testament with different eyes and going, Drew, is this possible? And they realized he's chosen by God. And when he died, like he said, that's where the victory that redeems everybody from the mess that the world has made happens. See that? That's the only thing that could, could have taken someone who's crucified and changed their, their reputation. So, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So, put the next verse up. What do you think this means? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What, do you, what, what was Jesus saying to those people? That as they came to Jesus, they were, they were rejects, they were outsiders, they came to a rejected outsider... How do you think they saw Jesus? Pardon? They were, they they were accepted. He got them. He understood. Because in, in the ancient world, in every world that we're ever going to have on the planet Earth, everybody likes winners. And I was praying this morning and thinking, you know, what, what makes the gospel attractive to people in Dublin? People in Dublin are winners. I mean, if you live in the Dublin area, to the, you know, you, you live in the 43016, 43017 zip code, you probably, 90 plus percent of of the people that live here have been to college, at least have a graduate, undergraduate degree. Some, many have graduate degrees. They have pretty high median household income. Uh, they have retirement accounts. They, they have money to put their kids in better schools. I mean, they're they're winners. <laughs> what makes people, you can see how the the, the the living stone was attractive to those people who are outsiders. What makes Jesus attractive to people who are the winners? Think anything? Maybe that's why there's not as many people here. Security, okay. Jesus offers a security. That's true. So it's it's an interesting thing he's saying. Again, remember Jesus is this building block, this cornerstone. And there's two groups of people. There's the people that want to build their life on him and believe he's the cornerstone for something new. And then there's people who go, no, we have our own cornerstone. We got, we got it figured out. This is what makes life work. So, but it says something. In your mind's eye, think about a uh, a building site, because this is what he's. He, this is this is the image he's drawing in our minds as a building site. The building site has some kind of huge thing going up, and there is a foundation. And Jesus is the foundation of it. There's a living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God. So God, the builder. The builder. And so what else is he looking for? What's he looking for? He says it in here. Stones. Because this building stones. There's other stones he's, he's making something out of. And he's choosing who? He's choosing all these people that are outsiders, that aren't the winners. Now he'll choose the winners too, but because what is it that that this unseen builder is doing? He's build well, it, it says two things. We'll, we'll get to that in just a second. But he's building something, and he's just looking for stones, living stones. You remember when Peter, you remember in Peter's story about stones? you got to think back, put your thinking cap on here. He had a conversation with Jesus about stones. Jesus said something to Peter. He said, what? Yeah, I'm going to build my church, I'm going to build a house, but what did he say to, to Peter? Yeah, you're a stone, you're a rock. Now, did, did Peter seem anything like a rock? My gosh, you know, if, the, there was, if there was like a big mouth, thank you, Brandon, a big mouth, sheet in the wind person, it was Peter, right? What, the wind blows this way, Peter's going that way. The wind blows this way, Peter. He, you could say one thing about him, you know, he, whatever he went for, he went for it big, he was always saying the wrong thing. And but, but one time he said the right thing, which he totally ruined by the next minute, getting rebuked by Jesus because he told Jesus, you can't die, that, that I referenced earlier. But Jesus said to Peter, You're 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 a Petra, you're a stone. And he was referencing ahead. I'm gonna I'm building something new. We'll, we'll look at the house here in just a second and then and draw it to a close. But he's saying. Every person, God wants to take people from the idea of what everybody thinks makes life work, which has been, by God, rejected over and over and over and proven to be a failure and saying, I've got my project in the world to build something, a community, and he's not building the church building, because remember what we talked about last week? We're not supposed to be about having a great church. We're supposed to be about having a great city, a great community. And that this thing that God's building, he's the the, the the beginning of the narrative of the Bible to the end is that God wants to be present among people, all kinds of people, and he wants his presence to allow them to realize the full potential of all that he created, all that that, that this world. And all of its resources and all of our abilities coming together can create a community in a world where everybody thrives, where there's no nobody left behind. And that Jesus, that what he's saying is that God the Father, through Jesus, and you'll see in a second, his spirit is picking out these unlikely people first to start building something, a new community that that outshines. The other community, or all the expressions of human community, and that he's starting, like Peter's saying in this book, he starts with you, aliens and migrant workers and second-class citizens, and he does something through you that causes other people to go. How do those? How are these people contributing and being and and doing what they're doing? And what he's saying is, he says he's using this language in the in, in their world they would have understood it okay better than maybe better a little better than we do. He says you're being built into a spiritual house. And that word spiritual there, it's an adjective that's modifying house and then spiritual sacrifices. And in the ancient world, wherever a temple was, like wherever a temple was built, that was the address of some deity. It was the address of a deity. And everybody knew there's transcendence. There's something bigger than us that we have somehow lost our connection with. And, and that, those they, those deities, they called them different names. Are deities that you have to appease. You've got to connect. You got to find a way to connect with them because your herds and your health and you know everything was connected to their blessing. You see, they had something right, but they were confused about how it worked. And so, if you went into any of the great cities in the ancient world, there would be the temples to Diana, the temples to Apollos, the temples to Zeus, all kinds of, of ancient temples. And you would see people going and taking their animal sacrifices, and they would offer those sacrifices to to bless, to, to, to gain the blessing of that deity. And, and usually an area would have a primary deity. And so all over that area, there'd be temples. Now, people were superstitious, and they were thinking, what if, you know... <laughs> What if we're missing somebody? So if you went to a place uh, like Athens, they had thousands of temples in Athens, and they just wanted to cover every base. <laughs> we don't want to make sure. We don't want to get any, uh, any God who's up there. We don't want to get them uh, get on their bad side. And so you know, that's how people are superstitious today, in the same way. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I was raised around people who were very superstitious. Yeah, in Texas, it's just something about the water down there. We had people that were superstitious. I remember people explaining all these rules to me. Don't walk under a ladder. You know, don't, don't let a black cat walk in front of you. I mean, people were literally uh, uh, concerned about these things. You know, if this happens, you throw salt over your shoulder. I knew people who did that. And you may think, where were you raised? People are superstitious. People are superstitious about things. Because there is something mysterious about the world. And there is some kind of sense we have that this world is more than just this stuff that we see. That something that's bigger than us has influence over us, and that we we don't have a, a good grip on how that all sorts out. And so people do their best. People who are religious are doing their best. People who are spiritual are doing their best in a certain sense. So the gospel comes along and says, listen, there is a, there is a new house, and the word house in the old... And, the, and, and these, uh, when it says you're being built into a spiritual house, that word meant like it, it had several meanings. One, the house, that people that a family would live in. The large, the, the whole household of those people. So the people who lived in that, but, which is usually bigger than just mom and dad and their 1.8 kids. It was friends and, you know, servants and in-laws. It was a larger group of people. That was a, also a house. Then there was a house that was like a dynasty, okay? We talk in terms of publishing as there's publishing houses. So random house is a publishing conglomerate and they used to have multiple imprints underneath them. And so the word house means all kinds of things in the world, but it means a bunch of people about a certain kind of project. It's a big community. And so what he's saying is, when Jesus, was, when Jesus came, he came as the favored one of God, but then he was rejected and everybody changed their minds about him because he didn't fulfill what anybody wanted to be fulfilled. So he, the religious people weren't happy with Jesus today and the spiritual people weren't happy with Jesus today and the, the leaders of those two communities were not happy with Jesus and so they crucified him and God knew it was going to happen. And out of that tragedy and that injustice, when, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he's saying, I want to show my favor to everybody, even the people who killed my son. When you think, oh, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. You know, people don't do that. Human beings don't do that. But that's the gospel. God sent The followers of Jesus, God the Father sent the followers of Jesus right back into the city of Jerusalem at the next huge festival, which was just a few weeks after the festival that all of them gathered to celebrate, where they crucified Jesus. Then, the very next festival, 40 days later, they're all from all over the world, Jews are gathered again, and God sends Peter and the disciples into the middle of that to preach. And to offer forgiveness to the people who had just killed Jesus. Do you think that this house is a different kind of house? Do you think there's something about it that's, that's not like any other whatever version of things that's out there? I mean, do you, do you see it now? And, and the people that God picks out. Because here's the thing. Like, you're in the sound of my voice. I can guarantee you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, God's hand has been on you, tapping you on your back, you know, patting you on the head your whole life. And he's been drawing you to, to come to the living stone and allow yourself to be built on this diff, completely different foundation and then be shaped by it. Because see, the foundation stone determined the shape of the building, the character of the building. When you build your life on Jesus, it says God starts building you into something that's bigger than you. So see, the religious people know there's something bigger than us. But they want to define it in, a, in just this box way. And then the spiritual people go, there's something bigger than us. But we don't want to define it. We don't, want any, we don't want any lines. We don't even want dotted lines. right? We don't even want a dot. We just want to be able to call it whatever we want. These people go, we want to call it whatever we want too. That's the problem. Because the problem with religion is control. And the problem with spirituality is control. Because people who want spirituality, I'm spiritual but not religious, go, I just want to pick and choose what I want. And if you read the New Testament carefully, Jesus says, you don't really want to do that because you don't realize you got some real messed up thinking in your head and you don't even realize it's messed up. And if you follow your own natural instincts, you're going to, you're going to end up in the ditch. I'm inviting you to come to me and I'm going to bless the best instincts that you have, and I'm going to change the worst instincts that you have, but you're not going to be in control because I'm the cornerstone. You're not the cornerstone. The cornerstone over here is always us. It's the difference. Religion makes you in control. It's all dependent on your effort and what you do. Spirituality is all about you, and Jesus is all about something completely different, something bigger, something transcendent, something that's life-giving. Because he says... He says, I'm going to make you into a spiritual house. And that, that Greek word uh, is pneumatikos. Remember how we talked about the word for spirit in the Old Testament and New Testament is the word for air and breath and wind and life. And so God's spirit, when we come to Jesus, God's spirit comes in us. And the word pneuma means powerful but invisible. Something powerful but invisible comes inside us. And when, when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit came on him, you saw the emergence of the cornerstone. And when we follow him, we get built into a building that none of our stones look like him. I mean, do you realize that? None of the stones he picks look like him. But he fits them together, and it becomes this beautiful, amazing thing over time. If you've ever seen a stone building going up, it looks like someone blew it up you ever seen a stone building going up? You know, it's just jagged and uh, and you know it takes a long time before you see the outlines of things because, because masonry work is slow and tedious. And they have to, ch- you, know, you take a stone and you're trying to fit it somewhere. It doesn't quite fit, so you chip away at it. And that's what God does with us. And then, then suddenly, he didn't chip all of us away. He just chips the roughest edges of us, the parts of us that we're most proud of, but are, that are the most troublemaking. He chips away at those and puts them in and then he mortars them together. And then boom, 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 boom. And you look at it, you go, any of those rocks that I I I'd seen out in the quarry, I would have not used. But it says there's this hand that that's this invisible, powerful hand that's working everywhere. And, And going and looking all these places for for this willingness to be built into something. And he says, Will, then he changes. The metaphor a little bit and says, You're not just living stones, you're going to be a holy priesthood. And in the ancient world, priests were like they were really respected and important because the you know, like, like the, the they were like Wall Street that the priests represented the gods, and and you know, you wanted to treat the priests well because the gods, you know, had a lot riding on the priests, and you wanted to be on the right side of the gods. And what he's saying is, All of the followers of jesus these these unlikely people, they get chosen to be God's representatives, but not just in some building in some temple that they go out into the community and they become the the place because wherever the priests were that they were at the temple and wherever the temple was that was where that's god's address but he's shifting the metaphor here and he's interrupting something introducing something where he says. Wherever you go, you're, you're, you're a house and the presence dwells in you, the pneuma, and you're a spiritual house now, each of you and all of us together. And wherever you go, it's, it's like you're kind of like a holy food truck, right? That people can meet God there, however unlikely you think you are, as long as you say, I want to build my house on this crazy looking stone that nobody else thinks much of, I want to build my house on that, my life on that. God says, I'm going to work in you and through you. I'm going to reveal myself and good things will come to you through you for other people. And that is the thing that we're built for. We're built to be significant in the contribution we make in the lives of other people. That's what significance is. It's not having the biggest bank account. You understand that? Because at the end of the day, that is not going to matter. And if you want to make a difference in the world, build your life on this cornerstone that changes angry, self-centered people into loving, generous, forgiving people and thoughtful people and approachable people and I'm still a stubborn person in many respects, but I am a lot less stubborn than I used to And I've told you before, my grandmother used to say to me, John, you would argue with a signpost because I was so stubborn. And I still am, but it's, it's getting chipped away. But it's only gotten chipped away because I have fried stand on Jesus. And the Father has chipped away things inside me and helped me to be able to fit with other people who have their own rough edges. And sometimes, you know, Kathy and I, we We thought we had perfect we thought we were just going to fit like this, you know it 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 just just it has been, been a lot of this going on, but now there's a there's a there's more of this you know it's better, but that's the way it is with anybody but it's it's you're going to build your life on a foundation, your life is built on a foundation. The question that you have to ask is is it a foundation that can really stand the weight of a human life and cause it to flourish. Hand the foundation, whether it's religion or spirituality that you're following, take, bear the weight of what you're putting on it. You know, what Christians can say throughout history is, we have taken our wrecked lives and put them on this foundation, and people like John Newton, who was a slave trader and heard the gospel and became a believer, totally changed his life, he gave up the slave trade, became a pastor, wrote the song Amazing Grace. Because this broken, evil, hard-hearted man built his life, put his life, brought the wreck of his life, and fell on that cornerstone. And the father took that broken life and said, I, got, I can do something with that. I'm going to make something amazing out of this. And when we allow him to do that, and then we, this is the thing. There's somebody here. This is Father's Day, but at the heart of this is Jesus' brand spirituality is a work of the Holy Spirit. Because what the Holy Spirit does, because that word pneuma is all through this. And in this letter, it's in all these key places in Peter's letter. And what the Holy Spirit does is he takes this thing that looked like a complete failure, defeat, mess, and he helps us to see in it why that's relevant. Jesus' death is relevant to us And why it's relevant. Exactly. It's exactly the story that our neighbors and friends and everybody needs to hear. But we have to hear it. We have to hear it. And the Holy Spirit has to come to us first. When we gather together, the Spirit is here. Somebody really special is always here. He's always with us anyway. But when we come together, there's something that happens when Christians come together. And there are moments that maybe some of you experienced it as Dan was leading songs. There are certain moments as we sing together, as we pray together, where it's like, you know, the roof opens up, and suddenly we're aware of something, someone, that that's the spirit of Jesus, the spirit who was there in the book of Genesis, creating everything, the spirit that was helping the Jewish people all through their story, the spirit that came on Jesus, and then when he was killed, raised him from the dead, and then when he returned to the Father, the spirit that came to us, now that spirit is here. And we come now to him and Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we come to the spirit too. Because he makes us into a spiritual house, a pneumaticos house. We, some, now all of a sudden, something invisible and powerful. God, who's invisible and powerful, dwells in you. And, he, and he, he has a purpose. Spiritual sacrifices are not religious things. This is not about what we do at church. I don't think this passage has passing reference to what we do in a building. It is all about who we are in the world. and do you see like Peter takes so long to go through this this letter we 're only going to go a few more weeks through it, but he 's trying to get people whose their identity has been shaped by the majority culture that they live in. The majority culture said you 're just immigrants you 're just Migrants. You're just fill in the blank. That identity, we all hate it when people have given us an identity, but we begin to wear it. It's inescapable. If something gets said about you enough, no matter how much you hate it and you say you don't believe it, you will believe it. Because you can, I've talked to enough people who, in the heat of the moment, they say things about themselves that people have said about them because they really believe it. Because we are made to be shaped by the people around us. And and the thing is, if you're not being shaped by the cornerstone, you're going to be shaped by something. And you can try to, you know, psych yourself up, and you can try to work on your self-image, but other voices are going to shape you. And if you want to be shaped by Jesus, he will shape you and give you an identity and fill you with his spirit and give you the opportunity to see a significance that can be measured in the lives of people around you. But the only way that can happen is, is this. Like when we gather, if we don't do what, like the two songs that Shanna said, uh, she sang Fall Afresh on Me and she sang Dwell, both those songs are songs of prayerful dependence upon God where we open our hearts up because we believe in Jesus, we can, we can call out to the Father and say, Father, fill us with your spirit. Pneuma, your invisible, powerful, living, personal presence that we see in Jesus. We're just living stones, but make us like the living, the living stone, the cornerstone. And that doesn't happen accidentally. Sometimes you get kind of ricochets of grace, but we are, we are meant to live intentionally and not accidentally. And so we have, to, we have to have this picture, this story in our mind and pray into it every time, every, every day of our life and it, as, as often as we can during the day, but then when we come together, we, we, the Lord's inviting us into this posture of I'm coming to a living stone. I mean, just close your eyes with me. Let me, let me say this and then we'll pray. You, when you walk through your day or when we're gathering on Sunday mornings, you are being invited by God, your maker, to come to a living stone and to say to him, you're the cornerstone. You are the foundation upon which God is building a new world, building a new in the midst of this society in which we live. And I want to come to you and relinquish control and allow you to make something out of me that's in your mind, that's beautiful, that's amazing, that's wonderful, that's significant, that that gives me a sense of belonging and being loved and understood and, and being secure and having purpose. But I struggle with that because I want to maintain control. And so help me as I come to you to open my heart up as wide as I know how, that all of your goodness could fill me, help me, and change me. And that the the wonder that you made me to be could begin to emerge and could begin to be seen and known and could contribute to the lives of people around me. Father, we want to come to you with that kind of prayer and that kind of posture every day. We know that we've got a lot of what it means to follow you just messed up. And we, we, here at the Vineyard, we just want to relinquish control to you as much as we know how. Just ask you to bless us with your spirit. Bless each of us and, and all of us together. Bless our families. Because we know you want us to offer living sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices that make a difference in the lives of people around us. We've, we've, we think about this week in and week out. And we want this to become something that's more real to us. Because we just admit other people have defined us for so long that we get lost and our hearts get broken because we just think we're leftovers or we're always going to fail or whatever our family is always where they've made mistakes, we're going to make the same mistakes. And we just believe that you're, you're calling us to be something new. We want to look to you today again and open our hearts up to you and pray that this would begin to just shift again, like you do every time we, we pray, every time we do this. And all of our brothers and sisters that aren't here today that or with family and celebrations. We we pray for them too, that all of us could experience being built together into something, a spiritual house, be a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices. Lord, we pray that we can make a difference where we work, especially where we work, God. Thank you for our jobs, and thank you for the opportunities to do